uh, horror movies. I don't know what you think about horror movies. I hate them. Uh, I can't understand why people would pay good money to be scared silly. Uh, But here's a movie you probably don't think of as a horror movie. Sophie's Choice. At least it's a horror movie for anyone who's a parent. Sophie, played by Meryl Streep, is a Polish mother of two caught in a Jewish extermination camp at the start of World War II. The horror comes as Sophie pleads for her life and the lives of her children. A sadistic Nazi officer gives Sophie the horrific choice, one of your children will live and the other will die, you must choose which. As Sophie screams, don't make me choose, I can't choose. They threaten to take both children away and so Sophie must choose to hand one of them over to die. Can you imagine the horror? Having to choose the death of one of your children. Uh, In the movie it's a a choice that haunts Sophie the rest of her life. I've never seen the movie, I haven't read the book, but I want to suggest that the story we have here in Genesis 22 is a horror story that's just as bad. But before we get there, let's do a quick catch up. Way back in chapter 12, God promises Abram, he'll bless him, he'll make him into a great nation, give him a land. Uh, Mark that on your calendar, Abram is 75. There's a few ups and downs along the way. Sometimes Abram has trouble believing the promise, other times he does pretty well. By the time we get to chapter 17, verse 1, Abram is 99, Sarah is 90. And even though nothing has changed in the family situation, God changes his name to Abraham, the father of many. And he says in chapter 18 that within a year they'll have a son and Abraham is just to keep trusting. So we get to chapter 21 where we read that God finally comes good on his promise. There's been nine chapters of build-up, 25 years of waiting. And in verse 1 of chapter 21 we read, The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he'd said and the Lord did for Sarah what he'd promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. It's a very matter of fact description really, isn't it? There's no extra detail. But where do you see the emphasis? God kept his word three times in two verses. Just like he promised, it might have seemed as if he'd forgotten It might have seemed as if something had got lost along the way, but God came good. And it's enough for everyone to throw a party. Verse 6, Sarah's sadness turned to joy. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. Who would have thought? She can't help giggling as she thinks about it. Here at last she's holding the precious child the whole future depends on. The one God said he'd build into a great nation, baby Isaac. Which makes what happens in chapter 22 all the more gut-wrenching. Jump forward a few years and God speaks to Abraham. There in verse 2, it's enough to freeze your blood. Then God said, take your son, your only son, 
Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. Abraham's pride and joy, the child he's been waiting for 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 a quarter of a century and now God says, take him and kill him as an offering to me. Now, there are other gods who demand that sort of thing, Molech, Baal, but this is different. God promised that Isaac would be the beginning of a nation. And do you notice how he's described? Your only son, the one you love. Who knows what questions go through Abraham's mind that night. Would be no surprise if he got no sleep at all. But look at what he does in the morning, verse 3, exactly what he's told. He gets up, saddles the donkey, takes two servants, enough firewood, and little Isaac, the son he loves, the child of promise, and he sets out. Imagine the tension in the air. Three days it takes them to get to the foot of the mountain. And Abraham can see where he has to go and then he turns to the two servants and says, just wait here, look after the donkey, the boy and I will go alone. And he loads the wood onto Isaac's back and Isaac carries it up the hill. Does that sound familiar? A son carrying wood up a hill and he's carrying the wood for his own sacrifice side by side with his dad and in verse 6, the chilling words, Abraham himself carried the fire and the knife. And as they walk, young Isaac asks his dad an innocent question. He's seen sacrifices before and something's missing. He says, you've got the fire, I've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And somehow, without giving away the secret, without breaking down, Abraham is able to say, God himself will provide. Did he believe it? Was he trying to deceive Isaac? They arrive at the place God's told him. Together they build a pile of rocks and then he takes the firewood from Isaac's back, he spreads them on the rocks And then verse 9, he bound his son Isaac to stop him running away and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reaches out his hand and he takes the knife, the knife he's going to use to sacrifice the son he loves. You can imagine him pausing, taking a deep breath. The knife is poised, Isaac is bound and helpless. Surely there's got to be another way And just then there's a voice. Abraham! Abraham! It's an angel. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looks over to the bushes and there's a ram caught by its horns provided by God to take the place of Isaac. And we breathe a sigh of relief, especially Isaac and perhaps even more especially Abraham. Well, that's the story. But let's stop for a moment and look behind the scenes and see things from a different perspective. 
Because the fact is we already know, don't we? If we've been a careful reader and if you've been listening to the kids talk, uh, you'll know what's been there right from verse 1. That God doesn't really want Abraham to sacrifice Isaac at all and that this is just a test, all designed to help Abraham. Uh, If you go down to the Qantas base at Sydney Airport, they have life-size flight simulators. And as part of the the training, Qantas pilots will strap themselves into these machines that look exactly like the cockpit of a plane and they're put through tests. And the guy in the control room can simulate all sorts of terrible situations. The extremes, the once-in-a-lifetimes, like the engines failing all at once, or a fire in a cargo hold, or the left wing breaking off. And they watch these trainee pilots to see how they're going to act under pressure. Uh, They put them at the extremes. They test them. And that's exactly what we have in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. This horror story, it's a test. It's a simulation to find out whether Abraham has finally learned what it means to trust the promises of God or not. That's the big question we've been looking at through all these chapters, isn't it? God's promised Abraham again and again to make his descendants into a nation and Isaac's at the heart of it. Last week we saw that Abraham's faith was looking kind of shaky. But now we've got the son... So does that mean he'll trust God or give up on God? And so God puts him to the test, he puts him in the simulator, he cuts off the engines, he makes the left wing break off and he sits back to watch what Abraham's going to do. Will he trust God or not? Well, if you take a close look at the passage, all the way through, he passes with flying colours. Right up to the moment when he reaches for the knife. Because he absolutely trusts that God said generations would come through Isaac. Because that hasn't happened yet, he knows that Isaac has a future even if he plunges a knife into Isaac's heart. He's got the promise from God somehow and he trusts it. There's a passage in Hebrews 11 that says exactly that. Hebrews 11 verse 17, it's a a fascinating insight into what Abraham might have been thinking. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who'd received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Abraham trusts God's promise and believes that God can even raise the dead And, and so even if Abraham has to do the unthinkable he knows that God can bring Isaac back to life. And so he's going to do what he's been told to do. 
That's exactly what faith is. It's an incredible picture of trust. Well, that's Abraham. What about us? Well, it's a passage that raises all sorts of difficult questions, doesn't it? Unsettling questions about God's character. For example, is God cruel? Is he vindictive and mean? I mean, where is the love? Is God the sort of God who likes to perform little experiments, like a boy with a magnifying glass burning up ants just for the fun of it? That's one way of looking at Abraham's test. It's a fairly important question because if you're in the middle of a difficult situation, something that is really stretching your faith, you want to know that it's happening for a reason. And it's not just because God, who's mean, wants to have a little fun at your expense. It's the exact sort of accusation many people have made about God when they read this story. But Hebrews 12 tells us that God's not like that at all. Next chapter on from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7. Here is the right attitude to have when times are tough. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Hebrews 12 verse 11. You see what that's saying? The tests and the trials God puts us through are because he loves us, not because he hates us or because he's cruel, because he loves us. He's our father. The tests are a sign that we have a loving father. They're designed for our benefit to stretch us, to exercise us, to grow us. Yes, it's tough love. But what training isn't tough? It's love that produces fruit, in this case, a godly character. That's the way it worked with Abraham. God wanted to test his faith, to strengthen it. And it's the same with us. Even if we don't get to see the big picture, even if we don't get to see the answers the way we have here, even if we can't see the how or the why, God wants us to keep trusting him, to keep waiting to keep growing in patience and godliness and peace. Is that the way it's working for you? Are you patiently, faithfully enduring your trials with hope and trust and love in your Heavenly Father who disciplines you for your good? Or are you failing the test? Well, that's the first question. There's a second question, another disturbing, unsettling question. Might God test me by asking me to sacrifice my kids or maybe my family? Well, at one level I want to say no. 
God will never ask you to kill or even harm your children. Remember, he didn't actually want Abraham to do it either. It was only a test. But there is another, another level at which I want to say, well, he might. A different sort of sacrifice. Jesus said that the greatest commandment, that what God wants us to do more than anything, is to love him with heart and soul and mind and strength, he wants 100%. Jesus put it even more bluntly in Luke 14, verse 26. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Any of, you who, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus wants to be first. He wants to be put before everything, including family. In some countries, for a person to choose Christ means to choose losing his family. Such is the shame of converting to Christianity in places like Egypt and China and plenty of other countries. A Christian convert is often disowned by his family. Jeff Reed, some of you know, he's the minister at Chatswood Presbyterian Church. He was converted as an adult at university. His family is a mixture of Jews on his mother's side and Aussie pagans on his father's side. Uh, He invited them to the baptism of his fourth child a while back. He preached an evangelistic sermon, didn't pull any punches. His sister got up and walked out during the sermon. Others left straight after church. A Jewish uncle stayed to the end but was so furious he refused to come to morning tea. Uh, That's choosing Jesus over your family. Jeff would love it if his family accepted Jeff, but he's not willing to give up on Jesus for the sake of it. For many of us, the choice isn't so stark, but maybe there are other costs we need to weigh up. Are you willing to put Jesus first, even if there are costs for your family? Maybe it comes... Uh, with your job or your home. Maybe God, God wants you to keep one job, even though maybe it doesn't pay as well, so that you are able to do ministry and look, give to church and family. And so maybe your family squashes into a smaller house for Jesus' sake, or maybe they miss out on other things, holidays, a new bike, because you're making giving to missionaries or church a priority. Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, spent most of her life in the background and often as Billy was travelling the world she would agonise about leaving her four young children uh, with her parents while she travelled with Billy. Most of the time she didn't go but she knew Billy needed her support. One time she was in England and uh, had organised to return back to the States after a month. 
uh, of a three-month mission. She was missing the kids. Billy, on the other hand, said he couldn't do without her and she didn't know what to do. She felt she was sacrificing her family whatever decision she took. Either her husband missed out or her kids missed out. As she was weighing up the options, she received this letter from a retired missionary. Dear Mrs Graham, I've just heard of your problem to stay with your husband or go to your four children and am praying. In case God says stay, I feel constrained to send you a quotation from a friend's letter to me many years ago when we had to let the last of our five children leave us and we had to stay in China. Uh, This friend wrote, You have the right to ask the Mighty One to do more for them than he could do if you were with them. Open your mouth wide. The letter continued. He's been faithful to the promises and kept and used all five children. I'm writing this at the request of our youngest who says she can testify to the fact that the Lord didn't let them down. The letter concluded, If the Lord says go, he will care for your husband better than you can and as your choice is his, he will surely make that will clear. Uh, Ruth quotes that letter in her autobiography. In other words, you can trust God's promises. He's good and generous and trustworthy. Lean on him. He'll support you. Shelter under his wings. He'll protect you. Place yourself and your family into his care and he won't let you down, whatever sacrifices he calls for. That was a letter from someone who took seriously Jesus' promise in Luke 18 that comes after the challenge to give up everything. Jesus promises, I'll tell you the truth, no one who's left home, wife, brother, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. That's God's promise. You can trust it. God is testing you in all sorts of ways. Will you pass the test? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father. Uh, That much we know for sure. You who did not withhold your only Son but graciously gave him up for us all, how will you not also, together with him, give us all things? Uh, There is no doubt that you love us and yet when difficulties come we're tempted to think otherwise. Help us to see these as your loving discipline and help us to trust you. Amen.